0: This episode is brought to you by Uptown Beer Society, a craft beer gang dedicated to making memorable collaborations with New York City brands and breweries owned by people of color. Learn more on Instagram at Uptown Beer Society.
1: Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're recording remotely, and today is Tuesday, August 18th, 2020, on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. We have a special show today. Uh, One of our favorite uh, brewery owners and brewers in Brooklyn, uh, Basil Lee of Finback Brewing, is joining us with with some of the new team he has um, that's part of the, the new Finback Brooklyn. So, Basil, welcome to the show, and congratulations on all the new projects you have.
2: Thank you, Jimmy. It's good to be back.
1: So just give us a quick overview of uh, Finback Brooklyn. It sounds like you've got this whole kind of beverage studio, almost like a a cultural center with like spirits and coffee and and dumplings. Um, I'm really fascinated. Like this seems like breweries 2.0, what they should be doing.
2: <laughs> um, yeah, we are super excited for it. Um, I think for us, it really started as a simple, small project where we just wanted to be able to have a tap room uh, in Brooklyn, a little closer to public transportation, a little easier to get to. As you know, our spot in Queens um, is really a destination where you have to decide you want to come visit us. And so we were just looking for another place to open a tap room. And it kind of very quickly. Um, I guess, spiraled out of control in terms of trying to incorporate all the things we love to eat and, and drink uh, and to do. And so really, we thought of it as being a beverage studio, a place where we could all be creative, a place where you know the Finback team and Andrew uh, and everyone can essentially um, flex their creative muscles. So we have a small brew house uh, doing some somewhat more, I guess, uh, small batch pilot kind of brews. And then, of course, with Andrew, we are uh, incorporating a spirits program, so we're really doing gin, um, and we can talk more about that in a second, um, as well as coffee and dumplings. So we use coffee in a lot of our beers, we drink a lot of coffee, um, and we drink, you know, we get the chance to drink a lot of coffee that friends of ours roast, uh, and so we wanted to um, kind of try our hand at that as well. And dumplings, of course, uh, you you have to eat, so we figured we might as well bring some dumplings into the mix.
1: Well, that's a great intro, and it's it's really exciting because I feel like you're really on the pulse of of what people want to do. In fact, I remember if if I was going to be a bartender in a tap room, I would always want to start my shift with a cup of coffee. So, <laughs> um, you're doing great. And I, and, and Andrew, the, the reason this show came together is that I've known Andrew Andrew Say Thomas for quite a number of years as a home brewer. And I think I just learned yes. recently that that you were doing the distillery with Basil at Finback. So Andrew, tell us how, how, how you started distilling and how you came together in Finback, Brooklyn.
3: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, so I've been home brewing for about eleven or ten or eleven years at this point, and you know, I was looking to kind of get into opening up a brewery for a long time, and ultimately that fell through. Uh, I've known Basil and Kevin for a good ten years now, and. We started talking about kind of what the next step was going to be, Uh, and I wanted to try my hand at distilling because, you know, in order to make a good spirit, you have to make a good beer. And so, you know, took my fermentation skills, uh, started making up some uh, corn beer, essentially, 10% corn beer, uh, and distilling it out. Um, That led to making mostly gin. Uh, I love gin. I love the idea of being able to work with different botanicals. Uh, different uh, roots, different herbs, to create something that's very unique.
1: That's great. Uh, Uh, Yeah. Keep going.
3: Oh yeah, you know, so then, uh, you know, like I said, Basil and Kevin and I kind of sat down and kind of mapped out a plan of what this, you know, distillery project could be. Uh, We looked at possibly doing something small out in Queens, uh, quickly realized that we needed a little more space. Uh, And then we found this place on President Street and the two ideas just kind of came together, a new uh, Finback Brooklyn spot, a uh, nice little spot for Halftone Spirits. And, we, you know, for the last year and a half, we've kind of been working towards getting the distillery up and running. That's great.
1: So, so Basil, uh, what was different about opening the, the new spot versus the first brewery? I, it's kind of an obvious question, but I'd like to hear it from your perspective.
2: <laughs> um well, I, I think it's funny because I always joked after we opened Queens that um, we would get it right when we opened our next brewery. Um, and then <laughs> and then I think working on Brooklyn, uh, I, I, I am um, making the same joke, which is I think we'll get it a little bit more right when we open our third one. But I think the the biggest thing is we really had a bit more um, time to focus on like how we wanted Uh, the next taproom to be and what types of projects we wanted to do there. You know, for Queens, it was really about we wanted to make beer by any means necessary. Um, We had really no money and just kind of this like attitude of we're just going to try to make this work and figure it out. Um, For for Brooklyn, we were fortunate enough where we were operating a little bit and we kind of knew what we wanted to do. We really wanted to focus on the taproom experience. Um, You know, we felt that that was the best way, you know, for us to kind of express, um, you know, what we do at Finback to, to people, um, as well as we kind of see it as really now, I feel like everyone sees this, but the evolution of how um, you get craft beer out, you know, which is really kind of this direct-to-consumer taproom model. Um, and so in, in Brooklyn, we really just focused on making the taproom as comfortable uh, as we could, you know, kind of designed in a way that would really be uh, a, a fun place to drink and to hang out. Um, and so I think the the opening Brooklyn really was just for us like this um, opportunity to, to to be creative and to really try to like do a lot of things like you know on our wish list uh, in terms of opening the tap room.
1: And then aren't you and your partner Kevin? do you guys have a design or art background?
2: Yeah. So I am. Uh, an architect really in a previous life. Kevin is uh, a graphic designer uh, and illustrator. And so we both do a lot of that kind of work at Finback still. Um, so I, for the most part, design the new space, um, you know, really kind of um, wanted to put a little bit of a, a kind of our aesthetic to it. Um, but yeah, we, we both have creative backgrounds.
1: Well, that's great. And then what was it like when, when, when you started talking to Andrew? I mean, it, it's and how big is a ju- of a jump it is to add the distillery and the licensing and everything and in the in the layout of the space. I mean, there must be is are there separations between the distilling area and the brewery?
2: Yeah. So we, I mean, like Andrew was saying, you know, we've been really home brewing and drinking together for for a decade now, and so you know, I think we've been having the conversation about flavor and about alcohol and spirits and beer for a long time. And I know that, you know, for us, we were um, kind of, Andrew was trying to open his own brewery for a long time. um, And we were always kind of following that. And I think when Andrew made the transition to spirits, we kind of saw um, how kind of really how much potential there was in that in terms of exploring flavors. Um, You know, Kevin and I had other kind of interests in other spirits projects um, but then when we kind of talked with Andrew in terms of gin uh, specifically, it really became kind of apparent how we could evolve what we did in beer to what we were all interested in spirits. And so when we came up with the Brooklyn idea, it was pretty quick in terms of um, having the conversations with Andrew to to see if we were all into the idea of incorporating it into the new tap room. Um, and so we, I would say, pretty much... Um, really we're on the same page from the beginning and we started you know incorporating and figuring out how the the two components would work together how the tap rooms would work together Um, in terms of separation you know there are like functional kind of separations and things like that but we really wanted to design the space as well as all of the different um you know beverages we're making as one cohesive thing you know i I really personally want to see you know the fermentation um, kind of influence the, the 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 distillation and vice versa, and coffee roasting um, into both of them, and potentially you know using barrels across the different um, you know beverages. So we may age something, uh, age gin in a in a in a barrel, and then potentially age beer in that barrel, or age coffee in a beer barrel, or you know whatever it might be, and really find synergies between each of the different um, kind of medium.
1: Basil, right now, what is um, one of the beers that you're making with coffee?
2: Oh, um, well, actually, I guess the most recent one we did was um, Black is Beautiful. um, And that's a beer we're we're super proud of. I mean, also mainly because of its uh, kind of social mission. Um, So, of course, I'm sure you all know Black is Beautiful um, by Weathered Souls to kind of raise awareness about racial equality and racial justice. Um, and so we did that beer, and we kind of just added uh, a bunch of coffee. It was an Ecuadorian coffee um, that was roasted by Mostra. So really, the coffee they make is just superb. Um, and 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 yeah, that was the most recent. It was like a, I want to say it was like a nine percent stout with coffee.
1: Yeah, I was setting up because I wanted to say, do you have a, a direct tap line from the coffee into, into the the brewing? vats or something <laughs> how do you get the coffee in the beer like what are you doing
2: yeah so we actually ha- we, we we've tried a lot of uh a, a different techniques and i would say our really the technique we settled on for the most part is we actually steep the coffee in the finished beer so it's essentially like like dry hopping um so we put the coffee into sacks and it goes into the finished beer
1: Wow, that's great. Let's go to Andrew. So, Andrew, uh, I know you're a home brewer. I've kn- I knew you for a long time. Um, when you first started distilling, uh, what were some of the challenges that you had? And then also, uh, when you moved to the facility, you know what 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 type of equipment you got? You know, like the 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 intro distilling lessons you learned.
3: Yeah, no, it's been a gr- it's been a great journey. Just trying to understand the way that you know, different botanicals. Can play a role in the finished product. Like you think about something like licorice root, which everybody would kind of associate perhaps with, uh, you know, black, you know, black licorice candy. But you know, licorice root, for example, when you put it into a distilled spirit, gets like a nice, warm, almost kind of cocoa flavor, and has a natural sweetness, and really tastes nothing like licorice. So there's been a number of like uh, times that it, like botanicals have completely blown me away by what finished product tastes like and so for the first few years there's a lot of exploring what those flavors mean how they translate into a spirit uh, and how we can utilize them uh, in our finished product Um, as for the still itself at the distillery um, we worked with a company out of florida that allowed us to create a very hybrid modular system uh, which is pretty cool it allows us to make whiskey if we choose to make whiskey in a pot still it allows us to make uh, perfectly clear, neutral grain spirit, uh, which is a great carrier of flavors for gin. You want to have a very clean spirit to re-distill and infuse with uh, different botanicals. Um, uh, it also makes you know, a crystal clear, perfectly good vodka as well. So uh, it, it really allows us to uh, try out different spirits, create different spirits, uh, and, and really explore what we can do using different grains, different botanicals, um you know different aging processes things like that so it's uh it's a really nimble system
1: and and quite unique and and very beautiful i gotta say right how how much uh research did you put into that i mean i I saw pictures on on instagram it looks beautiful
3: Yeah, yeah yeah uh you know so i worked with the company for about two years to design it uh you know kind of going back and forth what ultimately we wanted to create you know what our budget was uh you know kind of where we wanted to scale up and 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 uh, yeah it was, it was really great I think pretty much basil Kevin and I and the company kind of all worked together like on the blueprints and then had it, had it manufactured in China it came here we assembled it um, and uh, it's been great so far
1: Wow and so when you're doing your you know your typical batch I assume you're, you're what do you start with like what what volume of liquid and then what do you end up with just as like an introduction for us
3: Sure, yeah, so we're using um, uh, New York State uh, flaked corn. We are a New York State uh, farm distillery. Uh, So we start out with essentially 2,000 pounds of corn. Uh, We ferment that down into um, a 10% uh, wash, a corn wash. Uh, We then distill that one time out, and what comes out on the first distillation is basically 95%, you know, as pure of grain alcohol as we can get. we can uh, proof that down and turn that out into vodka uh, or more likely we will redistill that and so when we redistill distill it uh, we will uh, macerate different botanicals in that spirit for a day or two sometimes four or five kind of depending on the spirit we're making uh, and then we will redistill that spirit through what's called a gin basket and in the gin basket is all the various botanicals that you want to flavor the gin with And so the vapor passes through, the alcohol vapor passes through the gin basket, infuses, and comes out the other side as glorious, delicious gin.
1: Wow. So that's called double distilled or twice distilled? Uh,
3: Now, I mean, like, it could be considered twice distilled. Uh, We have what's called, like, a rectifying still, so... It's kind of hard to count distillation numbers. I know people love to say like, oh, this vodka's eight times distilled. Um, hypothetically, you know, because we have uh, 18 plates in our still and we're distilling it twice through, we could say it was distilled 36 times. Um, so it's kind of a, a kind of a marketing misnomer, to be honest. Um, but it is a, a very pure and clean spirit, which is what we're going
1: for. Wow. And then w- what are some of your favorite uh, botanicals to use? I know you mentioned licorice root.
3: Yeah, uh, I mean, so our flagship gin utilizes Hawthorne Berry, um, which is something I came across, you know, I was looking at different uh, gins across the world and some people use lingonberry or raspberry, uh, but I wanted something a little more local and came across uh, Hawthorne Berry, which is native to New England. Um, it's a small red berry. There's a tree that grows just down the street from me in front of a grocery store for Hawthorneberry, Berry, which is that prevalent. You might just see it every day and not know it's there, um, but it has... Uh, it's related to uh, the rose plant and rose petals. So, uh, aromatically, it has this really nice floral note to it, but it is, at the end of the day, a red berry, so it provides this nice, like, fruity uh, backbone to the gin as well. So, uh, I don't know many spirits that use hawthorn berry, uh, but I think it's
1: a really, it's a big highlight for us. So, like, d- down the road, what are some of the plans? Are you going to have different botanical gins, or is is there... Any any other creative uh, vision?
3: Absolutely. So right now uh, at the uh, President Street Brooklyn location, uh, we have three gins available. We have a London Dry that utilizes a lot of citrus fruit um, and is very kind of classic. You're kind of what most people expect, you know, a gin to be, but a bit more elevated, a little bit more refined. Uh, We have our flagship, which is kind of considered like a New Western style. So we use hawthorn berry, we use sumac. Uh, Cardamom, pink peppercorn, so it's a little more, a little more unique. Certainly, Uh, we have a magenta gin, which is a pink gin that utilizes uh, rose hips, raspberry leaf, pomegranate seeds to get like a really fruit forward gin. Uh, So we have those three right now. Uh, We're working on a kind of an international series uh one will be like a japanese style using gin tea and yuzu Uh, we're looking at doing like a spanish style using uh, mandarin oranges and um, olive leaf Uh, and then we're also gonna have like a rotating hop series obviously working with finback and, and all the the beer aficionados out there um we will have a rotating hop series first one out is gonna be cascade so we'll be using cascade hops but kind of supplementing that with those nice like grapefruit notes and and orange notes you get from cascade hops a little bit of wormwood in there to bring in the dankness um so yeah now we will have a a pretty much evolving kind of rotating series of gins um seasonal gins one-off gins uh, but really a huge exploration of what uh gin itself can be
1: well i'm quite impressed so this is really a standalone spirits operation this isn't just like you know, boiling off beer and coming up with a beer a spirit or something?
3: Yeah, no, it, it's uh, it's you know, in many ways, like this whole Brooklyn location is kind of a, a place to experiment with flavors and tastes and the interaction of of, of all these different um, beverages and and flavors.
2: Yeah, I think what was um, really interesting to me is is actually thinking about how gin is this really this foundation of playing with flavors because you have so many different botanicals that you can infuse and, and essentially curate um, that it was this really interesting creative uh, spirit that we could play with. You know, I think that we, and and for me personally, you know, I I definitely drink drank gin a long time ago and I think just kind of got away from it. And I think there was also very specifically, you know, these kind of mass market gins that, that people are used to, And then now I think, especially, you know, in the UK or in Europe, there's like this, there's been this whole kind of gin revival. It's such a nice, refreshing, um, kind of backdrop for flavor, you know, a a gin and tonic in the summer is just so wonderful and, and, and complex and nuanced and refreshing and and all of that. And so I think it's kind of a really exciting thing for me to, 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 get into it and start doing it, um, in Brooklyn.
1: That's great. I, I love gin. I remember a few years ago, uh, Bar Hill out of Vermont was, was my gin of choice. Also made like a small batch from a farm and, and made from honey. Um, and, and when I go into to, to Finback Brooklyn, um, so how can I get the gin? Are, are you selling it wholesale? Are you selling it in specialty shops? Are you only selling it uh, in cocktails? Are you going to have canned, canned gin and tonic drinks?
3: Uh, I mean, yeah, right now we're selling it basically just, uh, you know, gin and tonics and a couple of specialty cocktails, um, you, know, out of, you know, out of the patio, out of the tap room. Uh, we hopefully will be releasing bottles in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, and then distribution, you know, throughout the state, kind of as we build up uh, stock. Right now we're, you know, we're making it as fast as we can and people are drinking it as fast as they can. Uh, so once we build up enough stock, we'll be able to
1: distribute um, certainly within the city and hopefully, you know, New York State. Wow. Sounds like the best of both worlds. And also, another guest is on uh, Nico Clamidus, who is a uh, for me one of my favorite beer writers in New York City, and he's been writing about beer as, as long as anyone else has. Um, Nico, I bet you, do you have a question uh, for for Basil or Andrew about the distilling operations?
0: Yeah. Hey, Jimmy. How are you? Um, absolutely. Uh, you know, one of one of my favorite one of the favorite. Uh, things that I love about Finback, you know, because I've been covering the New York City beer scene for almost a decade. And, you know, I've known Basil and Kevin uh, and Andrew, you know, since they were homebrewers and kind of progressed into professional endeavors. And I've always appreciated kind of their creative vision and the things that they wanted to explore through Finback. And um, and I think Finback Brooklyn is is just such a great example of their creative Spirit, Um, I did want to ask, you know, as as Andrew was speaking about the system that, you know, Finback Brooklyn has and that it there is a potential to, you know, have bourbon or have vodka. Are there plans to actually do that on a scale where you would release bottles and, you know, or put them in cocktails, uh, you know, further exploring and branching out of gin?
3: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I have a big interest in uh, whiskey uh, rye, particularly. Um, and there's actually a New York State designation for New York State rye, uh, so obviously that takes two or three years down the road to you know age in a barrel, if not longer. But uh, that's certainly something that we're looking into.
2: That's awesome. Oh, sorry, then, go ahead. No, I was gonna, if I could follow up, I think um, you know what. What was really interesting in our early discussions, you know, and it's kind of it's kind of interesting, like thinking way back, Andrew, we were talking about even distillation, you know, putting aside gin and and what you could do in terms of the flavors in gin. We were talking about distilling all sorts of stuff, right, because it's kind of yeah. like understanding. Um, really, if you look around the world, it's just different sugar sources from different places, and then different regions distilling it we you know from from you know in chinese white wine or rice wine like you know baijiu is distilled from sorghum which is a very particular taste um and probably something that that is pretty pretty different to most people's palates but something that we we talked about experimenting with we haven't yet Absolutely. but i think that could be super fun um and 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 yeah so i think that to me, is super exciting that we can actually potentially play with, you know, really different bases and distilling and seeing what that what that gets us.
3: Yeah, I, f- I find Baijiu extremely interesting because it's kind of the wild west of spirits is you can, you know, brew it or uh, distill it mostly from sorghum. But you know, they'll use wheat, they'll use, they'll use peas, they'll use anything, any sugar source to make uh, this white spirit. And I love it. I, I believe Basil loves it as well. And it's, it is a unique taste, but like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the, the forefront of, of flavors that it will be very fun to explore in the distillation process.
1: And on yeah, that note, oh, yeah, go, go, go Basil, go.
2: I was just going to say, and, and, and I think what's really interesting about the way we've set up the distillery is that, you know, we are very much a, a, a tap room, we're trying to reach people kind of directly, right? We're, we, we've made a system that's pretty small um, for now. And and the goal is that we can play with these things and and potentially serve them in interesting, either on their own, in cocktails, and use that as a way to evolve what we're trying to do there.
1: And w- one last question, uh, Andrew. So you, you're using some New York State ingredients uh, for this You Corn, you mentioned rye potentially is there another sugar source uh that's grown in new york state that you you guys might use for for one of these spirits uh
3: not not initially um we particularly like corn because it has a great uh mouthfeel a bit of residual uh, sweetness to it um especially in a gin i find uh barley and and wheat a bit harsh um so right now i think we're mostly looking at um uh, corn, Although there is uh, a sorghum uh, sorghum producer upstate, which, you know, one day we could possibly be making uh, baijo from them.
1: <laughs> New York farm baijo. That sounds good. Man. <laughs> It'd be I'll a first. Just,
3: it would definitely be a first.
1: Yeah. Well, th- this is a great conversation. Uh, we're going to take a short break and we're going to be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
0: This episode is brought to you by Uptown Beer Society. They're a craft beer gang dedicated to making memorable collaborations with New York City brands and breweries owned by people of color. Their Bronx Culture Series featured three beers made in collaboration with Gun Hill Brewery, inspired by the Bronx and Latinx culture. Uptown Beer Society works with underrepresented brewers and beer bar owners to highlight and celebrate cultural gems that make New York City so special. Learn more about their unique beers and where to find them when you follow them on Instagram at Uptown Beer Society.
1: Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. We're talking to the crew from Finback Brooklyn, uh, Andrew St. Thomas, and Basil Lee. Um, So guys, we were just talking about uh, the distilling aspect of Finback Brooklyn, and now I'd like to shift it to Basil to talk about, you know, your your new open uh, source collaboration. I guess it's... The thing we, we've we've seen, you know, without beer festivals and, and the pandemic going on, we've seen some really successful, you know, social cause and, and just fundraiser projects. The big one we all knew was the All Together Beer Project, which I know Finback made a great beer. Um, and then there was Weathered Souls, which you had mentioned. The Black is Beautiful the, the stout project that's still going on. Um, so tell us about yours because y- you guys have stepped up and I know that there's a lot of excitement about your project.
2: Um, yeah. So we, you know, I, we, we, I think there were, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll back up for a second, which is to say, I feel like there's always been this um, community aspect to brewing. I think that the brewers and craft brewers have always been involved in their communities and have always tried to step up to do things. You know, I think, like the ones you mentioned all together, black is beautiful, you know, people power by threes um, and all sorts of these kinds of th- these projects. So when, when, when George Floyd happened, you know, for us, it was kind of this culmination of, of a time when we were already trying to evaluate kind of what we were doing at Finbeck and our mission. Um, and, and we were thinking about a lot of things internally. And when that happened, it, we really kind of shifted our focus in terms of trying to understand that trying to understand you know why some of these things were happening why you know diversity in our industry it's also a topic we were we've been discussing as a as the new york city brewers guild over the past year um and so we really wanted to do something um, and we really wanted to try to make an impact you know for us for sure i think all these projects you know they have this link which is to raise awareness but also to raise um some funds some resources um, and donate it to to causes that address these issues specifically um, and so that that's in our project but what what we really wanted to do was try to just engage people directly and try to reach people directly we were having so many conversations at the brewery within our team between people on our team and then you know we have a a, a relatively you know kind of diverse brewery and so we were also just being we, we just had a lot of conversations with our our peers and colleagues in the industry um, because of that. And so we wanted to incorporate that into this project. So the idea was to, you know, the beer is called Breathing Conversations. And the idea is to actually have a conversation um, to essentially memorialize in the can somehow. And so then, or on the can somehow. And so then the can would become part of this dialogue. Um, and the, the hope is that, you know, we, we want the project to really be kind of slow and steady. We want breweries hopefully to do it and that it, it's not all just something that happens quickly, but it's something that can happen organically and that hopefully we can still be having this conversation so we don't forget about how important this is when, you know, when people are back at work and when when things begin to die down and people aren't necessarily engaging so much in it. We, we hope that this conversation can keep going because it's it's a conversation I think we need to have for, for a long time to to really address these issues.
1: So, so if I'm a brewery and I want to make the the breathing conversation, so it's a double IPA, right? And you, you, I know you give the the recipe. Um, yep. Am I supposed to, with my brewing team, have a conversation and and put some of that, the dialogue on the can, on yeah, the label? Yeah, that's,
2: that's right. And you know, we've left it pretty open, um, so it could be internal to your brewing team, um, but also it could be between breweries. So we've actually had some breweries. Um, essentially do a collaboration with another brewery and have a conversation between breweries. And that's what happened or ends up on the can. So it's pretty flexible. It doesn't have to be, you know, um, you know, we didn't necessarily, um, be prescriptive about how to have the conversation, just that you have a conversation about race, uh, obviously. Um, so yeah. And, and, and we're really hoping to see how people will have this conversation. You know, it, it could be a conversation, um, over social media, it could be a conversation with your, your, your fans or customers or in the tap room. you know, however the conversations had, our goal is really just to engage. And then hopefully it, it gets put on the can, you know, a, a question or an insight, and that then whoever's drinking that beer might, might respond um, as well, or might, it might, uh, it elicit a conversation between friends when they're drinking that beer together or something like that.
1: You know, it's, it, it is very relevant. I mean, I'm, I'm almost cliche to say it now, but we really felt deeply about this at Heritage Radio Network. I know that when the George Floyd protest started, uh, everyone here was like, we have to address this and talk about it. Um, so I, I had never really talked about it before myself. Um, we, we've you know tried to have some shows about diversity, but I probably never really went, went as far into it as, as we should have, and we're trying to now. Um, what are some of the conversations that that have come out um, that have made it onto the cans? That, because I know you have quite a few breweries doing this already.
2: Yeah, I think right now I think most of the conversations have been like our conversation, for example, uh, on our. We just released it maybe two weeks ago. We're going to be releasing another one in a, in a few weeks, but the first can for us wanted to be just an introduction to the project. So it was kind of um, more broadly about you know how to initiate this conversation about race. Some of the conversations we've been having, um, and we're going to start um, trying to get those out, posting about it a little bit. Um, but we, for example, actually, I also want to make sure I uh, give a shout out to Anthony. Uh, Anthony Totten at Finback, who is integral to this project, uh, who's really kind of a champion and leading it as well. Um, but we we sat down with with Garrett and we had a conversation just about each of our experiences. And he was also... At that point, it was the weekend before he was finalizing uh, his foundation um, and, and scholarship program on this issue. And so it was kind of interesting to hear what he was thinking about, you know, how do you, how do you help people and how do you, how might you use funds to help people in the long term? Um, and so things like that, you know, we've had conversations with some breweries, you know, friends of ours, and it almost is, is, is obvious when I think about it. But I never really thought about it, that there are breweries um, that are that are great people making great beer, but by virtue of just where they are, may not have any people of color on their staff. And so talking about that with them was an interesting conversation. You know, what does that mean in terms of um, not having diversity on your staff? How do you how do you try to gain diversity on your staff? Um, You know, how do you address those in different communities? So things like that so far.
1: And I want to recap what what Garrett Oliver's project is, because it's it's quite I, I think it's i I'm so I respect him so much, and I'd just love to hear you you describe it to us.
2: yeah, so um so essentially, I think, and i I uh, do not remember exactly the details, but basically, he was asked um, by a by someone to essentially start a scholarship fund, or he was given some funds to start, you know, this scholarship fund. And so he kind of put together a team. And the idea is to um, essentially create an opportunity for uh, black uh, brewers and people who wanted to become brewers, um, but also I think people who are in the industry and who could um, advance their careers and their development with this. Um, I want to say it was a relatively modest amount of money to begin with, you know, $30,000, $40,000. Um, but very quickly, you know, it, it, it's, you know, people are supporting it and, and, and giving it to it. And I know that the idea is really to he's going to find people work together with his team to essentially give scholarships um, to people of color to get into the industry.
1: So like to go to a brewing school or, or to get paid as an internship or something? Exactly,
2: exactly. Yeah. I think specifically to go to a brewing school, I can't remember if it was Siebel specifically or which program it was, but specifically for a program. You know, on that same topic, um, New York City Brewers Guild um, has a diversity initiative working with uh, Chris from Daleview and and Chris from Rockaway, um, also doing a similar thing in that trying to Essentially, have a New York City internship program for people of color, um, and they'll intern at New York City um, breweries. I think that's going to kick off probably in the next couple of months, probably by next year, someone will actually be on that, uh, uh, you know, kind of going through that program. And so, you know, similar ideas is how do we kind of attract and support people of color in the industry? I think New York City is already, relatively speaking, um you know a, a more diverse um place for the brewing industry, but I think certainly we can do better here and hopefully these these programs start multiplying outside of New York City um so that we can really get more diversity across the board.
1: Wow, that's really great i mean it's it's interesting to see how like so the some of these open source collaborations keep kind of going deeper and deeper um just tell me about the beer so it, what's the recipe f- that you're putting out?
2: Yeah, so we really wanted to keep the recipe super simple. I mean, a lot of our beer recipes are super simple, but we wanted essentially we made the beer what was something we knew would be a hit. So it's an eight percent, somewhat you know, hazy uh, New England style IPA. So New England yeast, um, simple grain bill, mostly Pilsner. I want to say it's Pilsner and wheat, and then dry hop with Citra mosaic. Um, so it's kind of you know, on the one hand, you could say it's a bit easy because Central Mosaic is just such a winning combination, and I think it is something that, especially over the course of the 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 kind of New England IPA um, evolution, it's just a, a a combination of hops that's very pleasant. Um, people really like, and so we really just wanted to make something that was going to be, in a way. Um, a background piece, right? That just solid beer, but not necessarily be demanding in a way, um, so that the, the conversation be highlighted. And then we also made it pretty flexible. So we said, you know, we wanted some breweries who may not be traditional um, kind of hoppy beer brewers, and we, we wanted them to participate. So we said, hey, you can take this and modify it however you see fit. Some people, uh, Rare Barrel, obviously, are going to do uh, a sour version of it. And um, various breweries can kind of modify. So really it's a pretty open kind of recipe, pretty open, um, beer for people in terms of what they want to brew. Um, as long as the conversation is had, that's really for us, the important part of it.
1: And it seems that like these collaborations, they're in a sense, taking the place of, (laughs) you know, international festivals, right? Where just last year, Many New York City brewers were traveling all over the world, appearing at festivals, doing collaborations. Um, do, do you feel that, that this is filling that hole a little bit?
2: I mean, I think I think to some degree, for sure, you know I think um, finding ways to stay connected is is really important. I think we all miss a little bit of the you know the the festival engagement, you know, kind of in- person engagement, but obviously, for very good reasons, no one's doing that these days. Um, and I do think that um, you know finding these projects, um, kind of, you know, forcing people to essentially engage other brewers um, has been a good kind of community aspect and, and kind of a connecting aspect to help replace some of that lost social aspect of festivals.
1: Yeah, for sure. And um, and, and beer writer Nico, um, do you do you want to ask a question uh, of Basil uh, about this project?
0: Yeah, I would, conversations. I would, I would love to know, you know, I, I covered I covered all uh other haps all together initiative. You know, I did a piece on that, and um I did, you know, I was traveling across the country last month and popped into Rent House in Phoenix, Arizona, and um, you know, it was kind of at the height of the protests uh for George Floyd and they were actually working on a beer called Black Excellence. So I had done a piece on that. You know, I'm kind of curious as, as, uh, you know, time passes, how often will you be putting out, you know, different beers within this project and, and essentially keeping this, this, uh, initiative going as, as time moves on?
2: Yeah. Um, I think that our goal, well, we probably will plan on doing it at least i would say 2 to 3 times a year for the foreseeable future you know is 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 my guess i think you know in some ways it for me in some ways right now it's a, it's a very specific topic that we want to address um but in t- in terms of being more kind of fundamental to that for us this project was about um forcing us to evaluate our ethos as a company and our ethos as a team. You know, I know that even before uh, all of this stuff kind of happened over the past few months, you know, our team, you know, people have an interest in trying to incorporate mission into what we do, right? Obviously, we all work together. We, we make beer. We, everyone works very hard um, and, and and we enjoy it and we love it. But we also want to find kind of deeper meaning, in what we do, um, and and for a while, a lot of it is volunteering or doing, you know, types of beers or events that might support Pink Boots or might, you know, support local community initiatives. And for us, this really solidified a way to think about um, our mission in a longer term. So one of the things, and again, this is all very early days for us, but one of the things we kind of committed to do is. Um, what we're calling a project internally beyond beer, which is we're going to commit, you know, we've committed 10,000 to it now, but ultimately we'd like to commit a lot more. We've asked some of our brewery friends and colleagues to also contribute essentially to start a fund um, and that we can, over the course of the next few years, hopefully raise money and then use that money to support this mission, you know? And I think that would be, some of it might just be donated to other people who are already doing this work. Some of it we're contemplating would be to do events to actually have some of these conversations in person and to actually try to engage um, more directly. Um, and and so I think for us, you know, at least for now, I'll say I think the plan is to do this and to evolve this for probably for you know at least some form of it. For, for a long time um, and and use it, you know, maybe the conversations will change next year or the year after, but use it as a platform for us to really kind of shape, you know, trying to do some some meaningful work um, beyond, uh, you know, what we do. I think one of the things that we really see in beer that that is unique is that it's a very collaborative community. You know, breweries are, I think, very different than other places in that even though we're somewhat competitors in this industry, we're all very close friends and work together to, to, to kind of achieve goals. And I think that there is this also this kind of platform in social media and, and people talking around beer. It's just a, a social kind of thing. And so we see this as hopefully um, kind of a natural parallel to what we do in terms of making beer and, and trying to do a little bit of good.
1: Well, that's great. It definitely makes sense. Have a beer and, and a conversation. Um, let's go to one more thing. Um, farm. So are, <laughs> are you opening a farm in New York State?
2: Um, so you you are, you are, the, you're the first to hear it here, but we, we are, we are. Um, we are in the process of, of acquiring a farm in New York State. Um, and the goal is you know, part of it is really to, to, to grow some things, um, that we, again, that we use in our beer, um, especially in our kind of wood and sour program. Um, but, but beyond that, I think it's a project and, uh, and I know I've been rambling on a little bit, but just a very quick aside, like, uh, I took a trip to Mexico and it was specifically to learn about, um, agave and mezcal. And it was kind of really inspiring to me because it was this very clear intersection between land, agriculture, people, and this product that's created, which is a spirit or an alcohol. Um and it was just so kind of heartwarming to see how you know the livelihoods of communities and the 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 kind of stewardship of of, of land uh, and then also the production of alcohol that people really like drinking and, and, and enjoying together kind of come together. And so we wanted to kind of try to have some of that in our lives. And so we've, we've um, started looking for a farm early this year. It's been a dream for a long time, but actually kind of we were like on a whim. I think because of all this being home with COVID and not traveling, it, it allowed us to focus on other projects. And we really, I personally didn't think it was going to happen. I thought this would be, you know, maybe a a few years out, um, but an opportunity presented itself. And so we are finalizing that and hopefully we'll have a small kind of, I mean, it'll be a phased project, but a small kind of farm brewery and agricultural aspect and and, and a place where we can really have people uh, interact with the farm and making a beer and growing of things in New York.
1: Wow, man. Well, that's really exciting, and, and thanks for, for sharing that with us. Um, the last thing I want to ask, uh, Andrew, uh, just the other day in the New York Times, and uh, some online edition of the food section, they were talking about beer cocktails, and I, I kind of always turn my nose up at beer cocktails, but there was one that sounded really good. It was a tequila and IPA uh, kind of refresher with ice. Um, it, with your gin, I don't know if you're doing them already, but... What would be a good, uh, you know, halftone spirit and fin-back, uh summer cocktail, you know, beyond gin and sure. tonics?
3: <laughs> right, right. Uh, you, utilizing beer or just in general?
1: With, with beer. Like just, just okay, for me, beer? you're
3: going to sure, take just a
1: Finback beer and a halftone yeah. spirit. And right now you're going to make me a summer cocktail because I'm really thirsty.
3: All right. Yeah. I mean, I would probably start out with, uh, one of Finback's Pilsners. Um, I don't know all of them. Basil, maybe you can recommend one for me off the top of my head. Um, I do Wellspring. Wellspring. Okay. We'll go with that. You know, let's throw in some of the London dry spirit in there, which has a ton of citrus to really heighten up that citrus note of the hops. Uh, maybe add in just a touch more sparkling water to thin it out a little bit. So it's not too viscous. Um, yeah, then you'd probably want a pretty fun garnish, and you know I'd say go a little bit left of field, and either go with a sprig of rosemary uh, to kind of bring in some earthiness, or if you want to go more on the fruity side, you know maybe you throw in like a muddled cherry or something like that.
1: Oh, that sounds great with a muddled cherry. And then just to wrap this up, everyone, please tell me either one beer you're drinking now, or or I should be drinking from Finback.
2: Uh, okay, I'll start. I I would say that. If it's a finback beer, I would I, I would have you drink Continuum. It is a mixed culture sour beer finished with some local honey from hives in our backyard. Um, it is I was really happy with how this turned out. We have been kind of honing our sour program. Alex, uh, our our barrel wrangler, has been doing a fantastic job, and so I would I would recommend that to you.
3: That's great. I would say that is a that is that is a hell of a beer. (laughs) I just had it the other day. Uh, As far as the beer, I think the uh, is it sounds of color the watermelon goza that's on right now is absolutely fantastic. Uh, But you know, I'm partial to the gin and tonics, and you know, so I'm actually drinking a gin and tonic as we speak.
2: (laughs) Same here. Same here.
1: (laughs) And and, and Nico, um, I know you also work at the tap room sometimes. Is there a Finback favorite?
0: Uh. That's that's a tough one. There are so many good Finback beers. Uh, quick shout-out to the beer I made with Finback two years ago, Nico, Neko Nico. Um, but out of what's around now, I would have to say, I mean, considering the hot weather that we're all kind of dealing with, uh, Sounds of Color, which is a Goza with watermelon and sea salt that I would liken to a watermelon jolly rancher it's just super refreshing um and a really enjoyable beer
1: well you you guys have been so great i'll tell you whenever nico helps put together a show it's always one of my favorites so thank you nico and andrew uh again you know learning about the spirits that you're making this is really exciting i know you're very talented and passionate and i'm I'm really proud of you and basil let's do it finback brooklyn 2.0 um Rock it out. This is really fun, and I'm looking forward to doing another show with you guys next year when we hear more about how that's going. So, everybody, thanks for joining me here on the Heritage Raider Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. I'm the host. Thanks for joining me, Basil, Andrew, and Nico. And a big shout-out to our producer, Dylan Hoyer, and head engineer, and who's engineer today, Matt Patterson. I will catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Cinecom.